0: You are listening to the third episode of the Galvanized Masculinity Podcast. Today we interview a new friend of mine that came highly recommended, Jasper St. Bernard. Jasper is currently working on his PhD in philosophy at Memphis University down in Tennessee. And today we're going to be discussing a very sensitive topic on race and racial tension, not just in our country in the United States, but in our world today. Now, this is a very uncomfortable conversation, but isn't that what galvanization is all about? So come and join us as we have this discussion. And again, hey, thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, I'm here with my good friend, uh, Jasper St. Bernard, and we are going to be talking about um, a few different things that has to do with race today. And uh, our podcast is for people, for men especially, you know, redefining the word of masculinity from something that's negative to a positive one. And in order to do that, we have to have uncomfortable conversations. And so thank you so much, Jasper, for, for coming today and being willing to have a uncomfortable conversation. Oh, yeah. No, it's my pleasure. Good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So let's get kind of right to the brass tacks of this. Um, whenever we have a conversation that has to do with race, especially in today's political and social climate, a term comes up that I think can often be misunderstood and is maybe one that I don't understand completely myself. But can you kind of define for us what the term um, white privilege means, like where it came from? And and if that's like, is it an insult to white folk or, or what is that all about? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is
1: a great place to start because, um, you know, language is tricky in that we can often be tricked into thinking we're all saying the same thing, even though <laughs> we're using the same word, right? Right. So. Um, we, we think we, so once a word, especially once a word hits like, um, the zeitgeist or whatever, like everybody feels that we just throw it around, like we're all saying the same thing. So, um, it is important to define terms first. So when, when I hear white privilege, what I, uh, what I understand it to be saying is that, um, and, and this doesn't mean everybody's saying it, but I think this is the, the, the definition, um, where it started is that the system um is built in a way that allows it 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 causes or produces an environment where different people uh are allowed freedom of movement in ways that other people are not right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so one story that came to my mind when i was thinking you know thinking through this and getting ready was the this uh the young woman in central park who got into an altercation uh with a black man who was bird watching
0: yeah um, yeah i remember this so
1: yeah so she she decided that that argument um warranted her calling 911 mm-hmm. um and when you listen right when they're first arguing uh or discussing her putting her dog on a leash they're not they're not really arguing yeah she 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 sounds one way and then when she calls um she her voice changes and it modulates and she's now threatened and like mm-hmm. its it it is that kind of understanding of how emer- the emergency call system works that one would say is uh is an example of white privilege right like she sure. knows that um she is going to be heard a certain way she knows that if she tells the story a certain way that story will be understood by the, or it will, it's more likely to be heard by the operator in, in a certain way, right? So all, all that is, not all that is meant, but much that is meant by privilege is that the, the, the world that we experience here is built in a way where one who has, um, darker skin is going to, there's going to be some disruptions and hurdles. Yeah. in to how they move through the world that would not be experienced by someone whose skin uh, is white.
0: So for you're saying for for white, just for white people or lighter color, color skinned, it, it favors um, that type of person uh, that yeah. looks a certain way. So, I mean, I'm obviously one of the whitest people out there. I'm of Irish descent. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I've got red hair and all that good stuff. When I when I was first cu- trying to, like, understand this term of white privilege, is that something that I should be guilty? Like I should feel guilty for? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do I how do I respond to that?
1: Yeah, so I you know I, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and then this came up yesterday on a, in a conversation I was in with some people on Facebook. Like I, I think it would help us in these co- in these more difficult conversations um, that we're having that we need to have about race if we would just table the 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 moral part. Initially, sure. what it was, so what I mean is, like, there, there are a lot of people whose knee jerk reaction is to immediately ask that guilt question. Mm-hmm. And I think we, you know, many of us want to be um absolved before we have the conversation, right? So, like, many of my white friends like they want to know that they can be seen as a good person. I, I air quoted that for the yeah, podcast. yeah, yeah, right? They want to be seen as a good person. And they want to be assured that they'll be seen as a good person before they can have before they have the conversation so like i'm not a bad person is often the knee-jerk reaction i don't think that's the important part of this conversation right so like no like white privilege does not mean that every white person in america should just feel guilty because we didn't ask to be born you didn't ask to be born the whitest of white i didn't ask to be born like black we didn't have a say in that right Right. And we come into the world like the, the question of guilt. I, I think the question of guilt gets in the way of us having the conversation because many people are afraid of being guilty mm-hmm. when all white privilege is saying is that the structures are built in a way where some have benefits that like not what seems natural. And it's just because the structure links to certain people Um, like th- like they they uh, have um, Yeah privileges that other people don't i think guilt comes in if someone wants to participate in a complicit way
0: Mm. once
1: they know you know sort of how the structures work so like if if someone leverages the structure in their direction like knowingly i think we can start to talk about guilt but if someone didn't know uh and and then was just you know moving through the world and they found out that that movement uh, you know, was more free because they were white. No, they didn't make the system. Personally, that individual did not make the system, right. so they shouldn't feel guilty for it.
0: That makes sense. I I, I just finished reading a book by Emmanuel Ako. It's it's um it's uncomfortable conversations with the black mm-hmm. man. That that's mm-hmm. a great book, and uh, I didn't necessarily agree with everything in it, but there's a quote that that really popped out to me. Um, it's from his book. He says white privilege is about the word white, not rich. It's having advantage built into your life. It's not saying that your life hasn't been hard. It's saying your skin color hasn't contributed to the difficulty of mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, I, I that's an interesting point. Like and and it's just, you know, it's just part of the history of uh, of this country. When you go back to the beginning, you know, when Thomas Jefferson is penning the Declaration of Independence and when you know he says all men are created equal and there are these rights that are bestowed on them they ha- he had a very specific person in mind now this yep. is not to denigrate anybody unnecessarily or say that this country is is the you know the most terrible i'm not I'm, it's not like it's not that but sure. when you know when they said all men are created equal they meant a specific person like thomas jefferson owned slaves when he wrote that down Right? And slept with so, them. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like the, the privileges that were being, you know, given to the citizens of this nation at the moment that that was penned did not include everybody. And mm-hmm. and, and that is that needs to be taken into account. So, like, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, um, Echo is, is is tackling that idea that many white people Well, I didn't I my life has been hard, too. And that, so white privilege does not mean that every white person's life has been great. Right. Uh, Because there are there are there are questions of class that come into this. There are questions of sex and gender that come into this. So like it it gets complicated. But to the the, um, yeah, like the system at large was written initially to benefit those with white skin. If if we want to be specific, it was white male property owners. But
0: Mm
1: -hmm. their whiteness was, um, you know, a part of the story in the beginning.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. And, and, and going back to, you know, the history of it, um, it, it seems like when it comes to mistreating people, you know, you talked about the United States, and, you know, obviously, that's where we live. And so that's kind of what, what we focus mm-hmm. on. But, you know, you think of, you know, a lot of European countries out there, like Great Britain, especially in France, they were majorly included in the slave trade. And mm-hmm. of course, the United States partook of that heavily do we see the the same type of discussions happening over there in Europe as we do here? Or is it different in the United States because of our history with the Civil War and Reconstruction and all of that stuff?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I think that, I mean, so I have some friends that live in England, and that the conversation um, is picking up there. But I do think, America has a very like unique variation of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thinker, um, his name is Eddie Glaude and I saw him on MSNBC and he was talking and he said that, um, you know, America is not unique in her sins, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just pointed out, yeah. the, slave, the slave trade was, uh, it, it extended, it, it's a Western problem, it's not just an American problem. Sure. Um, And, but he does say, like, what may make America unique is the way that she often tries to divert or Mm. avoid the conversation. Right. Um, And so America, uh, you know, America set itself up in what it's told itself about itself in the constitution. In All America. men are
0: created equal. That's what we that's claim. Right.
1: right. And, and that that is an inalienable, an, an inalienable right that is bestowed on everyone by their creator. So right. Like that that right there, um, you know, set a very high bar for this country that it the, the, a, a large part of the American experiment has been whether or not it's going to choose to live up to that expectation that it set for itself like that. And, mm-hmm. and that's why, you know, that's why I say that the conversation um, has, you know, some unique variations here in this country because we, you know, that what was written down, Martin Luther King Jr. says this in, in the last speech that he gave, right? He says that um, all we're asking of America is to be true to what is written on the paper. Right. So when you look at like King's, career he is another one who's just calling America to the task of whether or not it's going to take serious what it wrote down and I think that's why it makes this conversation um unique it's not so yeah it's not the worst country ever it is not the most evil country right genocides have happened around the world um uh, human rights violations have happened around the world it's just I think America set itself up with what it wrote down you know, they yeah. really could. So, you, you know, they say people say like to not put things in writing, right? Like you because you want to avoid the implications. You know, this is people who want to get away with stuff like later. Sure. Don't put it down. Don't write it in an email. Don't. And America did it. It wrote it down in its constitution. And so now it has to ask itself, does it want to live up to those expectations or not?
0: So really, this discussion that we're having, we're trying to hold at least the United States to the standard that it wrote down hundreds of years ago, and I think I think one of the reasons this this the subject can get I think emotional for a lot of people and, and people like me, you know, is the fact that you know I, I tracing my family tree, I've had people that fought in my family from, from every war, from you know World War II to World War I and the Civil War all the way back to the Revolution. Mm-hmm. And we like to believe that they did that. So the American dream was possible for everyone, or at least that's the narrative that we want to believe. Mm-hmm. And then when we hear this conversation that we're having a lot today, we understand that that American dream that we hold as, you know, just amazing and ideal isn't true for everyone. And that's mm-hmm. disappointing.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah and I, I mean and 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 that's that's like so I feel like the important uh, an important part of this conversation is right what what we do with that disappointment right mm. so I, I was reading something just the other day where it was saying that you know every major war that was fought that America fought, tracing all the way back to the Revolutionary War, black people fought in it as well, right? Yeah. So like the 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 Civil War, the the World War One and two, and and um, so coming for instance, so coming off of World War One, because your point about the American Dream and and who had access to it is, is really interesting. So like you know many of the the veterans who came back from war uh, from World War One, many of the black veterans were abused like physically, Mm -hmm. like they were mistreated, the, 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 the GI bills and things that would extend to white soldiers didn't extend to them. Right. Terrific. So it's, it's terrible. And, and, and it's, and one thing like, you know, so the disappointment, it's good to be disappointed, right? Like I'm more concerned with the, the american citizen who's not disappointed who just okay. wants to act like everything is how it should be it's just how we respond to disappointment that is the important um question right so does one want to make restitution for what they feel or do they just want to um sugarcoat it or do they want to uh um you know, in in a way where, like, say I did you wrong and you brought it to me. You said, "Jasper, I was really messed up. What you did to me." Yeah. And if I if I said to you, "Yeah, uh, whatever," but I've done these five good things to you. That that wouldn't that's not the response you're looking for from me.
0: Yeah, it should right? cancel out. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. Like you're bringing up this one thing. But like think of all these great things I've done for you. Or why do you bring up that? Like, why are you bringing up that thing that I did wrong to you Uh, when you've done this wrong to me? Like any of those responses you wouldn't be looking for because it's not addressing the wrong itself. Mm. Right. And, and if I, and if um after I gave those really milk toast excuses, I was like, well, the reason I'm responding like this is because my, my shortcomings make me feel sad. That wouldn't even make you feel better. Like that right. wouldn't help the situation. Like, am I going to respond to the harm by saying, I'm sorry. And then doing what I can to make it right. Like that, you know, that would be the way forward. And, and that, we can extend that out, you know, to this question as well.
0: And, and you bring up such a great point, like often when these conversations are had and I've heard conversations take place between, you know, uh, different people that I know, you know, when when the, the subject of American slavery comes up, one of the first things that is often thrown into the argument is what about all the indentured servants from Ireland? What about all the all the white servants? And we're not we're not we're not saying that that's not true. It was. But we throw it out there as almost like a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, in trying to be, in being defensive, it's actually kind of a red flag, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And that story, I mean, the introduction of the indentured servant is... You know, if, if we took history seriously and if we took the conversation seriously, then that very distinction between the indentured servant and the slave is an important one.
0: Right? Oh, that's a great point.
1: So, so even to bring up the indentured servant is suggesting that there was a kind of servitude that was not the enslavement mm. that was experienced by Black people. And so I, I just wish we were more patient and we were more um, intentional, like when we when we went through the historical conversation, because we do kind of tell on ourselves when we make those responses. And, and I, sometimes I guess we don't realize it.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I think it was, uh, I have it written down here. It was President uh, Lyndon Johnson. He said, um, you can't shackle and chain someone for hundreds of years, liberate them to be completely free, and then rest and justly believe that you've been fair. Right. <laughs> I, I think that kind of illustrates the point that we're talking about. So, you know, we, we talked, you just mentioned that guilt and, and how we deal with that, or that disappointment, the, the American dream hasn't always been possible for everyone. So what can I practically do mm-hmm. as a white person? I mean, I'm 25. What what can I practically do to help combat um, that ideal or, or just racism in general?
1: Yeah. Don't, um. Yeah, I get this question a lot from uh, my white friends. And what I would say to them, like, you know, all you can do is what you can do. Right. So like systemic issues cannot be magically solved by an individual. Mm. But many of my white friends have family members who have like these really bad histories working in their mind Mm -hmm. that that help confirm the the American mythology when you're it when you're at Thanksgiving and, you know, Uncle Johnny. Oh, yeah is talking really recklessly uh like that it that's the moment to not be to to not be silent um you know to 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 be conscious of the times in public spaces where um often either blackness or whiteness is being weaponized and Mm. and like doing what you can right to just speak out on behalf uh, of the of the downtrodden and the and the alienated i one of the one of my uh, one of my heroes is um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was like a Jewish thinker uh, who escaped um, the Holocaust, he moved here um, hmm. and worked for the Jewish Theological Seminary. And in the so he he escaped um, a particular persecution that was relevant to him and his family. The way we often talk about these things, right? Yeah. But, what, but as he was here and he was teaching, the civil rights movement really um, caught on and when um, King Martin Luther King Jr. And, and, and others were marching in Selma, Heschel joined them in the march, like he mm-hmm. marched with them and, and he, so to not just see um, any, to, to not, I, I think one of the important things is to not be sensitive to only those persecutions and difficulties that immediately impact me, right? Mm-hmm. But to like be involved in a way Um, where I am trying to uh, work on behalf of those who experience persecutions that are not mine. And I think white people, you know, can do that. I think, and I think it's, I really do believe it's, it can start at the family dinner table Mm. when, when those conversations go awry to not just be quiet and, and to complain later to a black friend, like, yeah, my uncle's really racist. Like it's, it's important to tell your uncle, you know, Lovingly, because that's your uncle, and to love them, but right. like to just be like that—that's not how this worked. That's not the story, and and to to really um, to to seize those moments and to make the most of them.
0: Huh? And, and and that's hard, you know. Often when you know, because I've had some, and and for some reason, and this isn't to this isn't to be. I hope I don't come off as ageist or anything, but it often seems like it's that that older generation that that tends to maybe have those, you know, those maybe racist tendencies. And Mm -hmm. it's often a temptation, at least for me, just, just to be quiet and say, you know, there, there, there's no changing that I might as well just, you know, avoid a scene or whatnot, but you bring up, you bring up a very good point in just, you know, having a, having a conversation and not a fight.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to believe. So there was a time in my life where naively i wanted to believe that we would just age out of racism yeah i've heard that before right like what what we there's this there's this narrative of inherent progress right that our nation is just all automatically and always moving forward and so just with time um you know we'll we'll age out and i was uh around I mean I don't even know the year but like there have been challenges to that I don't believe that anymore and and Hmm. one of the things recently um that jumped out that read that um kind of like reconfirmed this is I was watching um King in the Wilderness a documentary on like the last four or five years of Martin Luther King Jr okay and there was this there was this uh he was trying to do this um like the, they were trying to get the poor people's campaign off the ground, and he was in Chicago, and they were get, doing a march uh, there in Chicago, and in the in the video, there's a um, there's a little white boy. He can't be, he has to be like early teen at the latest. Like he's a young kid, and he has a recorder in his hand and he's like playing some song in the recorder and he's like shouting like racial epithets at them Oof. right and it hit me like like i was it, like this kid is let's say he's 11 right yeah. and this is the mid 1960s so now we're 60 years later that kid would be in his 70s if he's still alive if we do the math but now that kid is someone's grandparent who is at the dinner table? You know, re, um, shouting, shouting what they learned from their grandparents. So the, the, here's what I'm saying: like, I think that racism gets passed down, mm. right? It's so yeah. there isn't an inherent aging out that's going to happen because those young people who learned it in the during Reconstruction. So during the late 1800s, there were kids who learned it and then they became adults and they passed it down and then we get to the civil rights movement and someone is passing it down to like when you look at um uh the little rock nine who are trying to integrate schools those were little mm. kids yelling at them right yeah. so then those kids become older so uh, if we don't do the work we're never going to naturally age out like it's just not going to happen because mm. it's a thing that gets it's in the air and it gets it, it gets um it's one of the bequeathments right from generation to generation so that's why we have to do the work and we have to have the hard conversations because us just sitting i you know if, if there's a white person listening it's like i'm not racist and i'm in my 30s well that doesn't mean that you don't have friends who are we mm. there are. what i'm saying is there are racist 30 year olds that's okay. a Right. Like uh, there, there are racist 15 year olds, there are racist 30 year olds, there are racist 80 year olds, and they're going to have an impact on the people around them. And so like, if we, yeah, if we don't do the work, then it's not going to get done. Naturally. Yeah.
0: I, and you, th- that reminds me, and I had kind of forgotten about this, but I was at, I was at a certain event and I won't, I won't name the event, but okay. I was at a certain event where there were quite a few families um, that were around and, um, I remember that there was, there was, um, there was a black family and a white family that were in close proximity and um, they had a few toddlers and um, the white toddler came to um, her mother and said, I I don't like her and pointed to, to the black family. Mm. Um, And the, you know, the mom just laughed and said, "Well, well, why not? And she looked at her and said, because she's black. And she was like three years old and could barely talk. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I heard this and everyone in the area could hear it. And first of all, the shame that was on the parents of that child that said those words was very apparent. And the way that the black family handled that and having a conversation with the other parents and then having their children play together in a way that was constructive It not only broke my heart to hear that, but just seeing how the black family responded to that with such grace. It showed that that wasn't the first time that they had experienced that before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time that I noticed at least a live example of what you just mentioned taking place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that reminds me of a story one day. um, So I was in Wisconsin. I lived there from 2008 to 2016 or 17. So if anyone's thinking that was an interesting stretch to live in Wisconsin, that stretch of years was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I was at a softball game and, um, uh my son who i think he was four or five at the time was playing with this little white girl and this story is a, is more innocent than the story you said but this is where i think the mistake comes in that we often make mm-hmm. so like she she was playing with my son and then she put her arm next to his and mm. she said to him you drink you drink chocolate milk and i drink regular milk and caleb was confused um mm. And so I I think she explained she was trying to explain that's why their their skin colors were different because the color of milk that they drink. Oh so no way! This is just a little girl. Like this is not a big deal to me. And I'm watching it and I'm listening and 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 the mother comes and swoops in, grabs her and jogs away with her. Right? And I and and I remember so like that broke my heart because what you just taught that little girl was that she can't explore the world in any meaningful way and that once like because that for me that would have been a moment to just explain to her oh that yeah that's not how milk works and that's not how skin color works and like, very innocent and, and yeah it's not that big a deal but i think when we like because the when you said about the family feeling shame that's what it reminds i think shame often comes in and it disrupts our ability to meaningfully move forward. That's why, you know, as heartbreaking as it is, I, you know, it it kind of made me happy that that black family had an opportunity to talk to that white family because only <laughs> in those mil- only in those moments will we be able to really deconstruct the bad myths. Because I I mean, that little girl, she's three years old. She I I, I can't ascribe <laughs> like evil motives to her. Like that would be ridiculous, right. right? She's figuring out the world, and and I think it's important to note that you know, that story is significant to me because we, we, we see that children learn it pretty early.
0: Yeah. That's it.
1: It comes into the way kids make sense of the world really quickly in their, in their life experience. And that's why we have to be able to sit in it and to deal with the shame um, and and to deal with the you know all of the, those feelings of guilt we need to be able to to work through those together if we're going to be able to um really move forward in the way we claim we want to you know
0: yeah i mean that that little girl i mean in in her in her ignorance of social cues said what maybe other people are thinking and just yeah. hold it back yeah she
1: heard that look that little girl did not create that sentiment. she heard it somewhere and that might be the shame like that those parents felt that they you know they were in the minivan and they or somewhere and they you know they let these things slip and their children who are sponges took it in and it makes sense because it's their parents but like th- like that you know, I don't know so that you know i I don't know those parents th- those white parents so i I can't but like we we have to. Identify those moments when those things get passed down and begin to undo them, mm. and we and we have to start that work early. Um, you know, uh, in my undergrad, I was I was working on a paper and I I read some study. I wish I had wrote it down to uh, like and been more prepared, but they they um, they were saying so. There's this like brown bag paper. No, not the. There was this doll test where they would line up a series of dolls that were like different shades from white to uh, black. Sure. And then they would ask children to pick the doll that they wanted to play with and the doll that they didn't want to play with. Mm. And then the child had to say why they didn't want to play with the doll that they didn't want to play with. Wow. And, and there were many white children who did not want to play with the, the brown doll uh, because it was bad. That's what they said, like this, that that doll is bad. It, it, it doesn't act right. And these are like they they noticed that, at, you know, as early as four and five, these children are already making um, these decisions.
0: You think that's partially because maybe they didn't grow up around, you know, that that's what looks like them? Or is it deeper than that?
1: I think I I think it can be part though the the thing the first thing you said I think it can be part of it for sure that there's an unfamiliarity. There were things that were said to me in Wisconsin that I do believe were said to me because um, where I lived in uh, so I lived in central Wisconsin like right in the middle and there weren't many black people there that's the great white north right yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so like there were there were many white people who did not have exposure to black people right you could tell tell in the way that they addressed and and they talked so like there were there were some things that were said to me that were not um i don't think motivated by any evil desire or anything like that um and so that is a part of the problem a lack of exposure but there were also um, there were also, you can tell that some were driven by narratives hmm. that were evil. So like there was a lack of, a, of, a, of, a familiarity. but then you could tell that. And, and I mean, I could tell stories, but I don't want to keep you all day, but like there, you could tell that that lack of, a, of a familiarity was deemed a blessing by some because I'll, I'll tell you one story. There was one guy who I was talking to that I knew. Like, I'd go, my family would go to his house, we'd eat together. um We, you know, he would bounce my children on his knee, at, like with his grandchildren. Like, he, like, like, we, I thought that we were family because that's how yeah. it was talked. Right. And then one day after this was 2015, 16, when things were starting to really heat up in a way that was, becoming increasingly uncomfortable. We were having Mm -hmm. this conversation and he said to me that like black people have in, they, they are inherently criminal. Mm. like in in their heart and that this is this is this can be demonstrated when you look at chicago and baltimore and the different it was after freddie gray was murdered that's what it was freddie gray was murdered and then baltimore there were some uh, you know protests and and yeah uh, yeah. and so like it was that it was we were talking uh, about the bigger picture but that was the vehicle that got us there and so he was like yeah because black people are inherently criminal and you can see it like look at baltimore look at Maryland, um look at Chicago, and then he named one other city, and he was like, that's the evidence. And then we had to have a really long conversation. And my first question in was like, well, you, like, you know, you know, I'm black, right? Because I don't know if it like clicked for him hmm. that like that my family was black after all these years, you know, spending time with them. And he said, you know, yeah, I know that, but you're one of the good ones or whatever, you're one. And that's, see, right? So like, yes, part of it is a lack of familiarity sometimes, but I do think that there are some, there are more evil narratives that are underneath a lot of this Mm -hmm. that inform uh, a lot of these interactions.
0: And, and that makes a lot of sense. And you're bringing up, you know, a, a few examples, you know, from the past, you think of Baltimore, I was living in Tuscaloosa, Alabama at the time. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, a, a few more, um, a, a little bit more diverse there okay. than in where you were yeah. And the conversations there were good, but, you know, we see it. Um, we see what's happened recently in, in 2020 with, you know, the, the, the marches and then you have the riots. Um, on, on that, and again, this is another uncomfortable um, point, uh, I was reading, again, um, Echo's book here, and I agreed with a lot of what he had to say, um, and I try not to give him um, – I, I, I try not to read him too critically because he's, he played for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm a Dallas fan, so oh. that, was, <laughs> that was really hard um, to read someone from the Eagles that um, – Maybe I need to repent of that. But he he, he said uh, in here, and I find it interesting, he said, it's not white people's job to police the feelings of black people. I get it. It's not anyone's job to police anyone's feelings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it says this, but as fellow human beings grant black people the right to the full gamut of emotions regarding their wounds. And I'm sure that you've heard this question asked or the conversation take place. Um, you know, with these peaceful protests that took place, and then you see the riots that that came afterward. Is that something that we should accept and say they're displaying their emotions? And you know, who, whoever those protesters may be, whether they were white or black, and and let that happen, or at what point is that emotion crossing a a, a line?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this was one of the tougher conversations I had uh, several times this, uh, you know, in twenty last year. Yeah. And and into this year, and and one okay. So, um, the the creator of StoryCorps, um, which is this, do you know what StoryCorps? Is? Like, it's I've his, heard of it. Yeah. So it's this group that they just go around and they believe that, like, you know, through interviews we could get to know each other, um, um okay. more. So, like, the creator, he I, he has this book where he explains like the philosophy under it, and and the name of the book is is called "Listening is an Act of Love." Mm. And it, and it really like struck me like that, that, that title. And when he talks through how he got to that place. And, and so, um, Martin Luther King Jr. A, a not so well-known quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Is that he says that, you know, riots are, um, the voice of the unheard or the, it's, it's how the unheard make their voices known sure and it's, it's a very prescient although he was dealing with riots in in the 60s it's a very prescient kind of um idea because if someone and so so what i say to people who ask to many who ask the question well like riots aren't gonna do anything people who treat you know a brick going through their window or through the window of a store or yeah. whatever as if that was the first moment that black people try to make their grievances known in this country are being, they're either, they're ignorant at best or they're being disingenuous at worst. And I, you know, I try not to gauge the moral characters of individuals. I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Like to, to, to believe that um, so she um, and, and I keep referencing King because he's a very interesting like litmus test for America. So King believed in nonviolent protest, even when riots were taking off. He didn't join the fray. He did so like when he said that he wasn't like saying that riots are even the best way to be heard. But what sure. he was saying was. Over time, if you refuse, if you close your ears to a group of people long enough, they they are going to try to make themselves heard to you one way or another, right?
0: To so look back to the American Revolution, exactly. Right, exactly. They, those were heroes,
1: exactly. And so that, so yeah, so James. Okay, I'm, that was a great point because James Baldwin says this that, and I don't want to take credit for this idea, but he says, you know, when we see. It's Patrick Henry, right? With the gun, like, give me liberty or give me Patrick death. Patrick Henry,
0: yeah. Before right. He do- yeah.
1: So when, when we lift up Patrick Henry as a hero, like, give me liberty or give me death. Oh yeah. But but if a black person, if you do the same thing, like if you if you transpose on that picture, you don't change anything but the color of the skin of that individual, that now becomes threatening. If a black person stands up and says, give me liberty or give me death, then that's like violence. And like, why are they saying this? So was the Boston Tea Party uh a a, a a riot? I, th- I mean, I, on its face, I think so. Like, I think that was a destructive, it was destroying property in the yeah. name of like getting their point across. So like, all, all I'm saying is that we should be more fair collectively mm-hmm. to individuals and ask ourselves, what kind of condition are things where this is the only, this is like an option that is felt to be available, like where a, a a young black person feels like I I need to throw this brick through the window, like when that young man, the when that young guy was shot in Atlanta and they burned down the Wendy's. Yeah. the Wendy's was subsequently burnt down. Many people lamented the Wendy's, but I would ask, like which who which which entity mattered more—that one singular Wendy's or the young guy who died in the parking lot of the Wendy's—and I think. Sure. We, I think often many people don't begin to even take the conversation serious until a target is on fire or a Wendy's is on fire. And that, to me, again, betrays that there are deeper issues here if that's when you can hear them, mm. as opposed to when, you know, peaceful, peaceful protest largely goes ignore, ignored. And again, with King, King only chose nonviolent resistance his whole life. And that got him shot in the head. True. Right. So, like, yeah. to, to 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 suggest, and you weren't doing this. I'm I'm now like going back in time through the conversations I had the last year, like to 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 act like if it would just be nonviolent protest, then they would be heard. Is it doesn't really jive with history. Sure in a way that is true
0: so all violence is awful whether it's destroying property or or more importantly a life but it does tend to get the attention of people and so while the act of maybe burning down a a private business or whatever is is not condoned it works
1: and 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 it shouldn't and and we all wish that it wouldn't be needed like we wish that we would be able to have the conversation and it be taken serious. Like, yeah, black grievance is not a new thing. It's like the the, the sadness and the lament that is felt in the hearts of many black people is not new at all. And so to 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 um, act like 2020 was the first time we've broached this conversation. And that the, you know, the, and not all to, and again, just for the sake of the listening audience, all the protests in 2020 were not violent. Many of them were That's not. That's right. Um, and, and and many of them in in a lot of the hearts of white people that I talked to were dismissed. Like they don't want, they weren't trying to listen. And And the only time they were trying to listen was when um, a target was on fire, but then they only cared more about the target than the real issue um, mm-hmm. at hand. And that that's upside down. There's yeah. something wrong with that, um, with all due respect, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just really shows, um, and I know that this podcast isn't overtly Christian, but it it goes to show the evil that humanity is really capable of. Mm-hmm. I mean, case in point, and then what we've been talking about here today is simply what what most people um, know is just the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Um, and I don't think that we, as a people, whether we're white or black or whatever we may be, I don't think we've learned that lesson.
1: No, and 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 a lot, and yeah, like man, if it could be that simple, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and one of the things and that's why i really appreciate this conversation cuz one of the things historically when you really read carefully from david walker's appeal appeal sojourner truth like mm. if you read all the way till now what black people are asking is to just be able to that 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 it would be acknowledged that they are a part of that category others right and we yeah. know that in you know in the beginning uh when when you know Pen was put to paper in the Constitution. Black people weren't others; they were property. They, that, that's how right. They were, right. That's that's how they were classified. And so the fight has been for the acknowledgement that they're that you know we are not property, but we are we are that other, um that that Jesus was referencing in the Golden Rule. um And mm. I, you know, that would get us far if we could just acknowledge and not qualified you know, not like you're one of the good ones and then you become an other or if you would just act like this, if you would just talk like this, then like that we too are inherently the other Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that, and um, so that uh, warrants, um, you know, a certain treatment. I think that's really what's underneath a lot of this conversation.
0: That makes sense. Why is it, maybe our last question here, because we're getting close to an hour, but why is it, do you think, we have lost the ability, not just on this subject, but just in general, why do you think we've lost the ability to have intelligent conversations like the one that we've been having without without losing our temper, without, you know, doing whatever?
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I think it goes back to that, a large part of it goes back to the guilt thing you were talking about, and there, you know there's this quote that I heard um, and, 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 and it's it's profound and it, it, you know it says that few are guilty but all are responsible. Mm-hmm. And if we could just get to the place where we accepted our responsibility to the other and let that be the motor, you know, underneath these conversations, I think we'd be able to have them. But we are many of us are constantly trying to evade our responsibility. Yeah. To to the other, so that's why it's like, well, that's not me. I didn't own slaves. Uh, I didn't do X, Y, Z. But that's not the question, right? Like, the question is, what is my responsibility to you? What is your responsibility to me? And are we, um, uh, what's the word? Like, are we accepting that responsibility, right? And I think if if that you know, listening is an act of love. And if I love, if 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 we just if we accepted that we are going to try to love each other before the other person earned that love, right? Like mm-hmm. if I just entered the space desiring to love you because you are warranted, because you have that basic dignity as another human being, I think it would slow us down in a way where we could we could see conversations like this, you know. Uh, more meaningfully executed. Like no one yelled today, no mm-hmm. one shouted, no one got frustrated. Um, and 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 I think we're con- we're many of us are constantly trying to evade uh, the indictment that the conversation has, right? Like that that I'm indicted in this in some yeah. way. And if we would stop doing that and just accept our responsibility to each other, then I think we it it will go a
0: long way. Hmm. So just. Again, including you know that that term of others or your neighbor, mm-hmm. and, and knowing that every human being, no matter their belief system or or color or whatever it may be, is a human being and deserves that respect. I mean, it boils down to that. Yeah. Mm. That's it. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jasper, for, for coming on here with us today. Um I know that I definitely learned a lot and um, I know that other people will have questions um, as, as this podcast gets released. Um, but again, maybe we'll have you on a, again another time. Sure, that would be sure. Wonderful. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. If, if people wondered about stuff and you want to, you know, have a part two, I'd, I'd be glad to, yeah. to get back on with you. This was great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed talking through this with you.
0: Hey, thank you so much uh, as well, Jasper, for joining us on our podcast today and, and also to all of our listeners as well. We thank you so much for joining the Galvanized Masculinity Podcast, a place where we as men refuse to rust away into insignificance. We will see you next time.